I'm Karen Lewis, and welcome to Recovery Bites, a show that gets real about recovery, where we welcome voices in the field and voices of experience. Join me for candid interviews with experts in eating disorder and mental health recovery. Listeners can look forward to new perspectives, meaningful conversations, diverse connection, and compelling personal narratives that make a powerful difference in how we live. Episodes focus on life beyond recovery, the good and the not so good, the successes and the challenges, and the authentic accounts of recovered lives. Not their whole story, just bites. All right, everyone, here we go. I'm really excited. It's another bite. So I, first of all, I am overwhelmed with joy, with the courage and vulnerability that people have used by sending me incredible, thoughtful questions. I love doing this because I want to be able to reach as many people as possible. And there's a lot of questions out there, things that I may not get to with a guest on the show. And so this makes me really happy. I also want to remind everybody, this is my personal opinion and feedback and thoughts. I will never make an absolute statement. It is not the appropriate thing to do from my perspective. So I'm sharing my thoughts with listeners. So I want to start with the first question, which is, my wife and I both have eating disorder histories, but I've been fully recovered for many years. We are determined to avoid in our children, but also want to ensure they grow up well-nourished. Any ideas on how to do both? That is such a wonderful question because first of all, anybody who is, I'm going to use the word responsible or who loves a, a younger soul, it is a fear that they are going to be exposed to diet culture, eating disorder culture, the media, expectations, pressure. The best thing that we can do is create an environment that is a no diet zone, is not fat phobic, has no good foods or bad foods. And what I mean by that is modeling for your children or whoever it is that you're supporting what intuitive eating is. So if you say to your children, oh, you can eat anything you want, you know, no such thing as good foods, bad foods, that only goes as far as you're modeling it. Because then if you as the adults say, oh, well, I eat differently because X, Y, and Z, or because I'm older, I'm just using that as an example. What you are saying to these young, beautiful minds is that enjoy it now, it's all going to change later. As these children get older, they're going to remember that as you, the parent, the support, the loved one, is getting older, shall we say, that pe people of certain ages can not eat certain things. And that is not true. You need to model intuitive eating. You need to let them 
eat when they're hungry and stop when they're full and trust that if it's not manipulated, they will actually know when they're hungry, when they're full, what it is that they're craving. I had a wonderful interview with a woman, Jennifer D'Amato, and she is going to be on in a few weeks or maybe a few months because we have so many, so many episodes in the vault. Um, and Jennifer talks about the fact that she, it was her job to just be curious. She said her daughter one day for breakfast wanted shrimp fried rice. And instead of saying, people don't eat shrimp fried rice for breakfast, because by the way, they do if they want to. She said, I'm curious, why do you want it? And her daughter said, it's what I feel like. Other cultures that have rice with every meal, other cultures eat seafood. It's what I feel like having. And Jennifer said, wonderful. Just be careful cooking. No, just kidding. So we don't want to create any preconceived diet culture ideas, controlling thoughts, rigid thoughts that there's only foods for certain times. The other thing that is so important and if any of you have heard the episode with Doris and Tom Smeltzer, Andrea's voice, it is about how we as adults talk about our own bodies. Doris lost her daughter. Doris and Tom lost their daughter, Andrea, when she was 19 years old to an eating disorder. Something that has stood out to me for 20 years since I've known Doris is when she said she herself would look in the mirror and talk about parts of her body that she didn't like. And what she said is, I was saying to Andrea, these parts are unacceptable. And Andrea's thought process was, but I have that body too. So if you need to change it through diet and exercise, then I'm going to need to change it through diet and exercise. And if it doesn't quote unquote work, because we know diets don't work, then I'm going to have to go to greater measures, which is where bulimia came in for Andrea. I also want to say, be 100% clear, those comments by Doris did not cause Andrea's eating disorder. Although Doris, through reflection, could say, reflecting back, if I knew then what I knew now, I would never have criticized my body. I would have accepted my body and taught Andrea, here are our bodies. They are not to be judged. They're not to be ridiculed. They're not to be graded. It is our body. We're supposed to live in it. We're supposed to run, walk, wrap our arms around people. So it's also how we talk about ourselves. It's also allowing young souls to have a voice and to be present with their emotional state. Because again, we can't, we can't control all parts of the environment. We can be very cognizant to how we talk and act and eat in our own home. There's a lot that goes on outside the home though, right? So if you notice your child suddenly their mood is changing, suddenly they're isolating in their room, 
suddenly they are pushing their food around. Suddenly you're noticing large quantities of food missing. You're noticing your child obsessed with exercise. You need to say something and say, what's happening? How can I help? Because what that is saying is that there's something going on outside of the home that is upsetting them, that they don't feel that they have a place to bring it, to talk about it, to move through it, and they're trying their hardest to numb out from it. So noticing the emotional state of your children in the home, noticing how you talk about bodies, noticing food myths that you yourself have grown up with, like, oh, I'm having dessert tonight, better go to the gym tomorrow, right there. A young mind is going to internalize that. Dessert bad, and if you have it, you have to compensate. By the way, dessert, wonderful. Enjoy, and enjoy with your children. I also think it's really important to somewhat educate children and let them know what is going on in the world with regards to airbrushing, to what social media means, the function of of television ads and billboards. And they need to be little educated consumers, even at a young age. I myself was very, very naive as a child. I did not know until I was in my 20s, already in the, the, the height of my eating disorder, about airbrushing. Also, let's also talk about that was 30 years ago. So kids are a lot more creative now, but at one point, they're not going to know that you can adjust the way you look on Instagram, on Facebook, on Snapchat. There is a time when they don't know it. And it is important to explain to them that this is going on. It's also important to explain that any emotional is acceptable. Your child may be angry and to say anger is not allowed in the home is not fair. I'm just going to use that word. It's not fair. We all experience anger. If you're telling your child to swallow your emotions, or that an emotion is bad, just like there's certain bad foods. Anger, and I I use anger just as my sort of go-to emotion that people are uncomfortable with. Anger is a signal that something's not right. It might be something that you've done. It might be something that others done. It might be something that the culture has done and you want to push against it. There's nothing wrong with that emotion. So allow all emotions in the home. Also, joyful movement. You know, I feel like kids nowadays, these kids. But I remember years ago, years and years and years ago, I was at a friend's house and I saw the calendar on her wall. Now she has four children. At the time, they were very young. And I could not believe how full the calendar was with soccer, ballet, band, you know, you name it, like this group, that group, this group. Children need rest. 
they need to be able to play sports in a non-competitive way. They need to experience and experience things out in the world without such high expectations that you're automatically going to be the best. You're automatically going to win. Children just need to experience. They also need downtime because that's just as important. I hope that this gave some guidance. I'm sure there is a lot more. Um, and, and as I'm saying that, I'm just thinking of this. I would have them go on. I would introduce to your children body positivity groups. Um, there are incredible resources out there. Social media is not you know, solely a negative thing. It can have a really negative impact. But there is also a lot, a lot of positive things that you can be exposed to. Show your children that. Remind them that if they're feeling something, it's okay. And in fact, it's it's wonderful if they come and talk to you about it. If they see something, if they're hurting, whatever it is. So that was my first bite. I'm going to be doing two bites today. So here's another one. I was once told by my therapist that once behaviors start, the real work begins. I never understood that. Therapy ended before behaviors did. What did she mean? Is there certain work that needs to begin only after one is behavior free? I have a lot of thoughts about that. <laughs> First of all, there is never one way of doing something. There's multiple ways. My personal feeling, and again, please everybody here, this is my personal thoughts. We cannot wait until behaviors end to start working on the real issues that are happening underneath. Because by the way, some of the behaviors could last for a while. Also, the behaviors are still going to have a function if we haven't gotten to what's underneath, right? So, so if my, you know, I often use my own experience. If mine was I had intimacy fears. So my eating disorder was a way of putting up a block between me and others. Now, if I waited to work on that until after the behaviors were completely gone, I would be too exposed and too vulnerable without any coping skills to be able to navigate through that. So basically I would be behavior free, but back in the same environment that got me there in the first place, prior to having an understanding that I had these intimacy fears. So you must, oh, I just said, I said, I never say anything definite. And I'm like, you must. I think things must happen simultaneously. I just said it again, everyone must. They have to happen simultaneously. Now, there's the idea that if somebody is very behavioral, unfortunately, what happens is most therapy turns into crisis management sessions. And so then it is difficult to get to what's underneath. And so if I have a client who is constantly in behaviors and I am trying to keep them at a safe place, I'm trying to reduce behaviors, I'm trying to keep them out of medical harm, I obviously need to address that first 
because it's crisis management. That being said, especially if you're a therapist, don't get lost in constant crisis management. I have often found myself saying to clients, wait a minute, the last four sessions, all we've been doing is talking about behaviors. What's happening? Nine times out of 10, it's not that people are increasing behaviors because they don't want to talk in therapy, but they often don't want to talk in therapy. It's terrifying. It's vulnerable. It's exposing. And by the way, time has to be dedicated to talking about the behaviors, why they happened, how they happened, what was happening prior to it. Then you need to switch to what is going on underneath because Again, just working on the behaviors is a behavioral change that doesn't help somebody move through the difficult parts in life. I often said when I used to run residential programs that you cannot go to a program or, mm, gosh, I am saying a lot of definitives. I don't encourage people to go to a program that's strictly behavioral because what will happen, and I will say this happens often with people with insurance denials, what happens is they will be free of behaviors for two weeks because they're in a 24-hour facility. They have constant supervision and constant uh, community to go to. So their behaviors stop. Then insurance says, well, they're not behavioral, so they don't need to be in treatment anymore. And Clients get turned back out into a world that just two weeks prior was too difficult for them to engage in, and they haven't gotten any understanding of it. So they start repeating the same patterns, relationship patterns, job performance patterns, whatever it is, with the same results, which is usually something that is a, feels like a negative consequence, don't have the skills to work through it, go back to the eating disorder. So. It's, it's about working with both together. It is important to be able to cognitively internalize these coping skills. For that, behaviors must be decreased, preferably stopped, in order for that to happen. Our brain needs nutrition. It needs, the nervous system needs to be calmed down. So, there is truth in the more behavioral you are, the less you're going to internalize in your therapy sessions. But it's not an either or. So it's not you cannot start working on the real issues until all behaviors are gone. I wish it would be that way to some degree because hope because then we could get to move through the behaviors and get right to the part that really got you into the eating disorder. But it's unrealistic. I can't stop a behavior if I don't understand why it's happening. I am going to actually close here. I thought about that for a minute. I'm going to end here. I'm going to encourage everybody, anybody, anyone who wants to, send more questions. I love hearing what people are thinking about. It is really wonderful to be able to address the questions of the listeners. 
I know I have wonderful guests on and they answer a lot, but not these questions unless they're asked specifically. So, all right, everybody, that does it for another episode of Recovery Bites. I look forward to speaking with each and every one of you next week. Take care and stay safe. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Recovery Bites. Be sure to visit recoverybitespodcast.com to join the conversation, access show notes, listen to past episodes, and more. You can also find us by searching for Recovery Bites on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and major podcast streaming players. For weekly episode releases, you can follow us at at Recovery Bites Pod on Instagram. If you're interested in becoming a guest on the show or to submit a guest request, please visit KarenLewisEDC.com forward slash podcast sign up to begin the process. I'd also like to send out a heartfelt thank you to my producer, Jen Galvin. It is unbelievable the magic she does behind the scenes. All right, everyone. See you next week for another Recovery Bite. Thanks for listening.